You are listening to the Composing Trust podcast by Culture Solutions, a series on European cultural action with the world. Is Europe still attractive? How is it perceived outside the EU? How do Europeans promote culture together in the world and with which partners? What have they learned together? What is their experience? Our Composing Trust podcast series will address these issues. Welcome to you all. My name is Damien Helly, the co-author of this Composing Trust series by Culture Solutions. Today, we will follow our colleague Sylvia Nagy in a roundtable on cultural heritage protection in crisis situations. I would like to warmly welcome our audience to the Culture Solution podcast series. Today, we will discuss the questions related to cultural heritage protections in times of crisis with our guests, Aparna Tondon, Giovanni Fontana Antonelli, Johanna Leisner, and Giovanni De Siervo. I am Silvia Nagy from Culture Solutions and the PhD candidate in public policy at Central European University. And I will guide you as a moderator on this podcast session. To start our discussion, I would like to address the first question to Aparna Tandon. As a senior program leader, Aparna Tandon leads ICROM's flagship program on first aid and resilience for cultural heritage in times of crisis. She is developing ICROM's action on protecting heritage from conflicts and disasters. Aparna, based on the roundtable discussion on 12th of October, which catchword would you use to summarize urgent priorities in cultural heritage protection? Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you for inviting me. Catchphrases that I would like to use to summarize urgent priorities in cultural heritage protection are intersectionality of risks confronting heritage and people and people-centered approaches to developing capacities for managing these risks. You know, we are living in the age of overlapping as well as intersecting uh, disasters and uh, conflicts where risk drivers such as climate change and unplanned development intensifying the negative impacts both on people and heritage. We need conceptual frameworks, training and tools in cultural heritage sector to recognize this complexity and develop integrated strategies to reduce risks of disasters and conflicts for um, heritage and people, as well as work to tackle the climate crisis together. For example, in risk-prone countries such as Nepal, Haiti, Guatemala, Syria, Yemen, and Iraq, we need training and tools to undertake comprehensive risk assessments for heritage that take into consideration wider social, economic, and environmental context. Equally important is the greater need for greater investment in engaging local populations and developing their capacities And to do this, we have to focus more on the diverse ways in which heritage is used by different groups to improve their present condition or to negotiate their present as well as future. Power imbalances, when when we select heritage to protect in the aftermath of a disaster or, or, or a crisis. And most of the choices that are made to safeguard heritage are usually expert-driven that tend to undermine locally significant meanings and uses of heritage. 
I would like to cite here the example of the Bamiyan Buddhas in Afghanistan, which were des destroyed by the Taliban in 2001. Thank you very much, Aparna, for the great insights and also for the rich examples. This is a really great start to understand also the global context of this question. Now, to continue our discussion, I would like to turn to Giovanni Fontana Antonelli. Giovanni is an architect and urban planner specialized in the safeguarding of cultural heritage, historic towns and cultural landscapes. He is currently chief executive officer of the nonprofit organization Archimedia Trust. Giovanni, welcome. What is your take on the same question? Which catchword or catchphrases would you use to summarize urgent priorities in the cultural heritage protection? I would like to, to throw a few dichotomies, which I found very, very, uh, very, very useful. It's a little glossary if you want. I would like to emphasize, for instance, the role of communities, local communities vis-a-vis -vis national governments and authorities. I would like to emphasize the role of cities and villages um, or rural communities vis-a-vis -vis national authorities, local versus global, action versus legislations, management versus policies, and in one word, the support uh, to, to local communities to increase the knowledge-based capacities to manage the cultural heritage for the sake of transmitting it to future generations. In other words, the definition of the sustainable development made by the Brunton Report in 1987. I forgot to mention youth and women also as a very important driving force for, for this change. Thank you. Thank you very much, Giovanni, for this rich answer and also for sensitizing us for so many other topics, introducing these dualities, which I think each of them could be on its own opened up and discussed further. So there is something to take away from there already. But right now, I would like to follow up on one of the topics you also mentioned and earlier also, Aparna, the question of climate change by also introducing our next guest, Johanna. Johanna Leisner has trained as a chemist. She spent nearly 20 years on research on climate change impacts on cultural heritage. She is also the chair of the EU OMC group, Cultural Heritage Resilience, for climate change. Johanna, based on the roundtable discussion on 12th of October, what catchword would you highlight for us or phrases or important issues that we should deal in terms of cultural heritage protection? Yeah, thank you, Sylvie. We still have a lot of misunderstanding and not full co comprehension about the role, how important cultural heritage is for every one of us, for our societies, for our future. It is the memory of our civilization. And imagine you are losing your memory. We are becoming an Alzheimer patient. That means we cannot anticipate the future. We cannot even, we cannot even handle the day-to-day -day actions. We cannot manage our life if we are losing our memory. And this is exactly what is at stake right now with the climate crisis. It is really an unprecedented speed and scale that we are losing cultural heritage. And for this reason, I think we still need to promote cultural heritage on the highest political agenda. We have just concluded the COP27, and it is important that cultural heritage is taken up not only by the ministers of culture, which they are doing right now, thanks to all the initiatives from Italy, 
but we need also that cultural heritage is taken up by the ministers, by the responsibles who are ministers for finance, ministers for economy, ministers for the environment, ministers for state aid. And this is not happening on a bigger scale. And that is the topic for the future. Of course, we also have to engage with the citizens, but they are often much more aware how important cultural heritage is. But when it comes to the biggest conferences and summits, cultural heritage is often still absent. And that has a very important negative consequence. If it is absent, no fin finances, no budgets will be devoted to the big topic, how can we make our cultural heritage, our cultural heritage sites, be the tangible or also intangible heritage? How can we adapt to climate change? And above all, what can we contribute to mitigate climate change? Because we are not only cultural heritage is not only a victim of climate change, but we can also provide solutions uh, how to tackle the climate crisis. We have to rely on traditional knowledge, on the knowledge of our indigenous societies, because they can offer us how our ancestors have coped with different climates. And that is a wealth of information and the untapped potential, which we still have to exploit. Thank you very much, Johanna. And thank you very much also to linking again the fields and, and raising questions of different kinds of communities. And I think this is a good point to introduce our last guest, Giovanni Di Siervo, who has experience with different communities. Giovanni is an expert on humanitarian assistance and disaster risk management. Currently, he is senior advisor on international affairs at the Civil Protection Department of the Italian government and the project director of ProCulture.net. Giovanni, how do you see these questions we raised so far? What catchphrases, catchwords would you like to highlight for us? Good morning and thank you to, uh, to Culture Solution and to my uh, the previous speakers. Uh, what uh, one of my take from the conference of we, we had uh, recently is the fact that it's, there is this very huge number of stakeholders wanting to do something on the cultural protection, but probably what is missing sometimes is a reference standard, a common language. And that's something that probably we have to improve for the future. And uh, for example, we heard before Parandom mentioning some of the initiative of ICROM, for example, on this respect. And I could mention some of the uh, outcome of the ProCulture project or ProCulture project of today. So we have to work on uh, sharing know-how and uh, sharing a language, building a language. That's something we have to do in peacetime. We have to be prepared for next emergency, unfortunately. And that's the first responsibility of local stakeholders, both at national or local level, and uh, but also at the international level. And uh, to do that, we have to work, for example, on emergency planning, on uh, risk assessment, on building capacities, both national and international capacities. Of course, affected countries are always on the lead, either with the institutions or with the local community. So they have to be put on the front row. Thank you very much, Giovanni. Uh, to continue this discussion, 
I would like to get back to Aparna. And Aparna, based on your work at ICROM and your recent mission to Ukraine, could you tell us how the Europeans and the EU could contribute better to sharing knowledge in cultural heritage protection? And also, how could it be further supported by tools and apps? If I'm well informed, ICROM is developing an app to geolocalize damage on cultural heritage. And getting back to the same thread and picking up the threads of conversation from my fellow panelists, I would just like to highlight once again that uh, there is a need to establish broken links. And I, I, I would really term them as broken links between heritage and local populations. And at the same time, focus on what heritage can do to improve lives and promote sustainability. And this is also the case in, in Ukraine, where I think EU can play a principal role. And I will start from both institutions as well as local populations. To give an example, I would like to cite the case of Kanenko Museum that I had the opportunity to visit when I was in, when I joined the ICOMOS ECROM technical mission in July in Ukraine to assess the needs on the ground. And there, this museum we visited, we saw that to keep the museum alive, the caretaker director who had just assumed charge and her staff are, you know, are, they continue to organize gatherings for the people, bringing food and talk and encouraging them to talk about the history of the museum and the associations people have with this place. But this Kananko Museum was damaged in a missile strike on 10th of October. The, all of the collections of the museums are packed and are in a basement but there is no safe central storage, which is bomb-proof or flood-proof where some of this collection can be moved. And this is the case for all other museums that could be either struck by, you know, could be attacked or, you know, because they are next to a government building or a military target, or they, mm, I don't know if if they're an intentional targeting of these buildings. So then in that case, where do these museums you know evacuate and the same is the case it applies to archives and libraries and so what we need today is to understand that we have entered into the fifth generation of warfare and we need some of the information that european union and you know security forces have to create sectorized gis based risk map so there is a lot of monitoring happening via satellite on damage to cultural heritage. But what we do not have is actionable information, which will also outline the risks that heritage has, both primary and secondary. Could the heritage be damaged in a flood? We also have, for example, uh, Ukraine is exposed to climate risks. All of Ukraine is prone to flooding. So as winterized, you know, institutions are shutting down for winter, they're already suffering the war, from the war. We need this kind of information and we need these kind of storages. And we also need to train the, the heritage professionals as well as our local population who are, you know, more nearer to churches or community health heritage, which is in their care. We need to also empower these communities who are on the front lines. And uh, 
can be and are at the risk of sporadic attacks. So looking at this gap, ICROM in collaboration with its local partners for Heritage Emergency Rescue Initiative and the Maidan Museum have customized damage and risk assessment forms for movable, immovable and intangible heritage. We have made an effort to make sure that these forms are not uh, you know, too much uh, expert-centric and are easy to fill out by anybody who has some basic knowledge about heritage. And they have been transferred on a secure mobile and web-based application, which can be used both online and offline. The app is now made available on Android, iOS, and web versions in both English and Ukrainian, as well as is being used and updated regularly. So what is this app helping us to do? It is helping us to gather, triangulate, and analyze damage and risk assessment data for affected heritage sites and to verify damage, as well as define priorities for intervention and develop cost estimates for heritage first aid and recovery, which is very, very important. All governments need this kind of information. And unfortunately, this is not the case in Ukraine only. I think there is a very big gap. Today, governments, communities, and institutions are not prepared for undertaking rapid post-event damage and risk assessments heritage. Thank you very much. And it's really nice to learn to something so hand-on experiences and so hand-on tools as well to identify the risk and also together triangulate data on on risk assessment. And to take this line of hand-on experiences further, I would like to turn now to Giovanni Di Siervo. Giovanni, Italy is known to have cultural heritage protection expertise with Carabinieri. Could you tell us about your Italian experience in sharing good practice in cultural heritage protection, please? Italy has a, a, a large experience in cultural heritage protection, not only with the Carabinieri, which they provide a very high quality work, but also with our Ministry of Culture, with the civil protection, and with other stakeholders, such as volunteers group, for example, dedicated to cultural heritage protection. These are just a few examples. The reason is because we have we are a disaster-prone country. We have a long history of disasters and the lessons learned in our past. I don't want to go back to history, but it just if you think to the flooding of Arno River in Florence, this has, has become global concern at the time, and for us it was a wake-up call we needed to be ready to deal with disasters, both natural and man-made. So we created a system, a system which in, in which every institution, every organization has its role to play. And uh, uh, as a civil protection, a national civil protection, we provide the coordination of uh, all the different stakeholders in case of major disasters. Uh, and uh, to do that, we start from, we cover the uh, disaster management cycle from, from prevention to response and recover. Uh, we work in all different sectors. We have developed procedure, we have developed framework that have to be implemented by the, that are implemented by the different stakeholders. A few years ago, we also decided to to try to go on this path also at European level. 
at international level and European level, when we launch, first of all, the ProMed project and then the ProCalta project, we have decided to propose to create a framework for protecting cultural heritage from every type of disasters at European level. So as I was saying before, we said that it was so important, we identified as a critical need the importance of defining a common language, a common reference standard for protecting cultural heritage also at European level. So we started with this process where we started to create a, a shared methodology from among a few European countries at the beginning within the framework of the so-called Union Civil Protection Mechanism, which is the network of disaster management authorities of all the member states of the European Union. Uh, the project was successful and was very well perceived by both the community of uh, civil protection disaster managers, let's say, and also the Ministry of Culture, because the approach of disaster management is very pragmatic. Uh, we we are very much looking to solution to emerging problems. And so this approach was very well perceived also by the Ministry of Culture of the 27 member states of the European Union. And that's why we, now we are continuing to invest on the ProCalternet project, always within the framework of the Union Civil Protection Mechanism, to create a community of practice for cultural heritage protection. Our plan is really to create a network of stakeholders and knowledge among professionals and also individuals that may both institutions and individuals to raise the awareness and the possibility to respond to crises, both natural and man-made. Thank you very much, Giovanni, for highlighting these very important points and also to bringing back the question of shared methodology, which is very important within the EU, within Europe, but also outside. And I think it has its particular challenges, but definitely a necessary thing that we should work on. And with that, I would like to turn to Joanna. As an expert on cultural heritage and climate change, what do you think how should we address climate change in the cultural heritage sector? What role should EU, Europe take and EU take? And could we have like shared methodologies, maybe also for global public goods as, as climate? Yeah, thank you, Sylvie. I think we really have to start in the cultural heritage institutions, in the museums. So far, most of the awareness about climate change, that it has an impact on cultural heritage, comes from the research community. And I don't see, I mean, please forgive me, but at least in Germany and what I know from the rest of Europe, I have not seen many museum directors, cultural heritage institution leaders, that they make climate change their agenda a top priority. They have not yet under, fully understood that this topic is about security also and safety, about their own institutions. And I think still here, research has done a lot. And in the OMC report, we have collected 83 good practice examples to showcase what can be done, how we can adapt, and how we can contribute to mitigation. And this is such an enormous wealth of inspiration. And this we can 
upscale. All these uh, projects we have collected there, we can do in an upscaling, which can be transferred not only within Europe to different countries, but I think here also the EU has high responsibility to connect and to cooperate with many other regions in the world. Just before COP27, I saw the results of some surveys they have undertaken in Africa, in Asia, and they were asking people who were mostly affected by climate change, but they said climate change, they didn't even know about climate change, that these things they are seeing, what is happening, they could not relate it to climate change. And again, here I come back to my main topic, which is awareness raising information. And a few years ago, we also did a visitor survey within the Climate for Culture project. We asked visitors in different countries who were visiting cultural heritage sites, how, where are you about climate change that it impacts also cultural heritage? And I must say the results were very disappointing, except the results from Venice. <laughs> the visitors in Venice, they could relate very much the problems of Venice to climate change. But in other countries, in the UK, in Germany, in Sweden, there were not Romania, there were not many visitors who said that they can relate climate change and cultural heritage. So even here in Europe, we have to better disseminate the information, what is at stake. And I think we all have the responsibility and especially cultural heritage institutions. They must become the change agents and they must show to the society, to their visitors, what they are doing to fight against climate change, that they encourage visitors to take, let's say, green mobility to arrive at the museums, that they themselves behave sustainably. And I think we are right now in a very good, on a very good way, but still there is a lot to do in the future and it cannot be done in the far future. We must do it. We must do it, do it today. Thank you very much for this heartfelt and very important message, Johanna. I think it's very, very important what you bring up here, awareness raising and knowledge sharing, and also that we should all take responsibility in it uh, on every field. And with that, to, I would like to turn to Giovanni, Giovanni Fontana. How can the EU enhance its capacity to act in cultural heritage protection in crisis. So this is more or less like a follow-up that we have the awareness raising, but what we do on the field and how can we apply also this knowledge in cultural heritage protection. Uh, thank you very much, Sylvie. Well, I think that uh, we, we do not have to reinvent the wheel every, every semester, actually. A couple of years ago, actually, upon initiative of uh, Damien Lee, Cultural Solution, the European External Action Service organized a high-level uh, conference on the role of the European Union on the protection and enhancement of cultural heritage in conflict and post-conflict context and mediation. This conference was then uh, carried out in November 2020. And uh, for this uh, conference, the EEAS commissioned a study about this role based on the example of Iraq. I mean, Iraq uh, 
was mentioned before by Aparna. I worked and lived there for several years. Uh, I think uh, it can be considered a paradigm, maybe a paradigm of our failure, a paradigm of our hopes and uh, uh, and the collapse of, of these hopes. But it is certainly a country which can be used as a, as, as a paradigm, as a, as a good case study. And in this study that was commissioned by the European Union, the team that worked on it highlighted a few a few elements which I think are still valid today. And because uh, the world is rapidly changing, yes, but at the same time there are patterns, and as in psychology, that are repeating themselves. You know, we have patterns that are uh, seen again and again, maybe with with slight changes in because of the context that are changing, but are are repeated. Therefore, I, I just deriving, taking from, from this document, which is in front of me, when we had to envisage the EU strategy framework on cultural hazard protection and enhancement in conflict and crisis zones, the solution for this crisis, well, uh, we highlighted a few concepts. First of all, the prevention. That's very important. Prevention works both for conflicts and for climate change. It is so important. Usually we know very well. Also, we, we witnessed in the last three years a major pandemic, the COVID-19. And uh, we know very well that prevention is, is a key to mitigate the damage and, and the loss, in particular for, for, for cultural heritage in this sense. So therefore, enhancing the cultural heritage cooperation, European Union has the means and also has the budget, financial means, to reach out uh, those countries in particular that are, are prone to instability and, and climate change. The second, the second uh, concept that we felt to, to highlight and launch was uh, mediation and dialogue, eh? negotiation. So to create cultural agreements, to, to, to establish a network of uh, stakeholders, partners, grassroots organizations, local communities, different stakeholders that could really create a, a sort of safety net, because a network can be a safety net vis-a-vis -vis the, uh, the, the catastrophes or, or the um, volatility of security conditions in, in different countries. And then the third concept that we highlighted was a crisis response and cultural hazard protection. So this was more directly addressing the coordination for the response when, when, when a crisis erupts. Uh, and then a fourth uh, concept was the, the one to enhance access and transmission also of what we usually consider a bit less important than than the tangible heritage, which is the intangible. The intangible assets are taking major role now in, uh, especially in this type of world, where communities should be given a more important role. And last but not least, uh, a more direct action to counter terrorism, and in particular for for heritage to counter illicit trafficking, therefore uh, strengthening the, the fight to illicit trafficking, looting, through the creation also of institutions. I mean, the Carabinieri was mentioned a few minutes ago, 
Carabinieri is a leading organization in this, together with Interpol and other and other institutions. I think these uh, elements, which can be considered lessons, are still very, very valid to address this type of challenges. Thank you very much, Giovanni. These are very important points, and it's very good that we have them all on the table. They also particularly leading us and particularly answering already our next question. I would like to propose to all of you to close the session with a kind of takeaway message. And this would be the question, what should be addressed next in the EU cultural heritage protection and promotion by whom and, and how? And I would like to start with Aparna for this question. I think uh, the, the idea of intersectionality and the complexity has to be recognized at an EU level and we have to advance the discourse that we have presently on cultural heritage, as has been so eloquently pointed by Giovanni Fantella, that we we need to, you know, understand all the dimensions, especially the peace building and sustainability aspect of heritage, as has been pointed out by Johanna. We need to, in order to enhance that potential, we need to recognize capacities that exist within communities because they have been marginalized in the expert-centric discourse on heritage. And this means also having developing a new conceptual framework or mental models uh, where the boundaries between nature, culture are diminished and where Heritage is not seen as a physical thing, but as a process that can help to democratize as a cultural process that can help to democratize and address the root causes of conflicts, disasters and environmental degradation, because climate change is not just carbon in the air. And unfortunately, the discourse currently is very much focusing on the scientific, you know, like explanations and, you know, talking about emissions. But what is the cause of these emissions and how have we come to this level? It is very important. But I just say, want to say that climate change has a history. And right now, climate change is inducing conflicts and disasters, is threatening security and peace both for cultural heritage and cultural bearers. So we need to think about how have we come here and that climate change has a heritage too and other un uncomfortable heritage and that needs to be acknowledged as well. I think it's a very important message to take away with us as well. I would like to turn to Giovanni and ask again the same question. I think that cultural heritage protection should be uh, better positioned. I mean... I cannot uh, but agree with Johanna's vision and, and dream to have it, uh, to bring this up to a to, to very high level. I, I remember one thing. I want to share with you one, one uh, anecdote. In 2007 or 8, I was working in Palestine for UNESCO. And uh, in the country team, the UN country team, UNESCO in particular, but in particular the the culture sector of UNESCO was not really in the agenda of the resident coordinator. They they had a number of, of, of very, very urgent 
and important uh, topics, refugees, uh, crisis in Gaza, water scarcity, you know, ma many, many other things that, are, of course, are, are uh, hijacking the, the, the agenda of, of, uh, of the UN there. And then something happened. The, 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 the Spanish government launched, uh, maybe you remember this, launched a, a call for, for a fund called the Millennium Development Goals. Huh? This was before the Sustainable Development Goals, the one launched by Kofi Annan in, in 2000. And, uh, and my team, my, my, my sector, managed to, to win a bid for the Culture and Development Thematic Window, called this way, thematic window on culture. And while the other thematic windows on livelihood, on, 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 uh, on agriculture, on, you know, the major thing on, on, on labor, the country team of Palestine or the OPT at the time could not, uh, could not get a funding from the Spanish fund, UNDP, UNDP Spanish fund, MDG. Uh, only gender equality and women's empowerment got uh, funding and then culture and development. So by magic, by magic, culture and cultural heritage entered from the main door the discussion that was taken at the country level, the national level, by the UN country team, but also by the government of the Palestinian Authority. The the, the Ministry of Planning, Ministry of Planning never even imagined to talk about culture and heritage. And they were obliged somehow to to deal with us and to put in their agenda culture and heritage. So why I'm telling this as, a, as an anecdote, it is important that our leaders, that our uh, organizations, those who are leading our organization are able to, to put culture and heritage in the agenda. It is a, a real pity. There is no sustainable development goal as SDG on culture. There are several on uh, natural heritage, life. There is not a single SDG about culture and heritage. There is a target under uh, goal 11 that is talking about uh, heritage and world heritage, but it's not sufficient. So it would be very important to place culture in the core of the discussion. Thank you very much, Giovanni. I would like to turn now to Johanna. What should be addressed next in the EU cultural heritage protection and promotion? By whom and how? I have a dream. And the dream is that the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, calls for a cultural heritage summit inviting all the big leaders of the world, including the president of the Russian Federation, to discuss how important our cultural heritage is and how we can protect it in times of climate change. And I would like to call for next steps to invite influencers. We need strong influencers and support from the humanities, because so far this topic is only driven by the natural sciences. We need to call for philosophers, artists, game developers to address this topic and make it visible to everyone in the world with every means we have. I hope this dream will come true in the future. We really hope that there is a chance to have these dreams to come true. Thank you very much for all these amazing inputs and for your participation, to sharing your insights, experiences, expertise and dreams. 
And just a kind of small disclaimer before we say goodbye is that this podcast was prepared with Hiba Turiri, Ina Kokinova and Damian Heli together. Thank you very much and looking forward to share some more time with you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of our Composing Trust podcast by Culture Solutions. If you liked it, you can subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast platforms and contact us at culturesolutions.eu. Thank you.